you know, I didn't mention that in the beginning that to the people listening to the podcast that can't see us, that these questions are from participants here doing the workshop with you guys. I kind of got a little ahead of myself there. So Excellent just stuff. Fill everybody in. And we have a live audience with us tonight uh, watching us and listening to us do this. So. Uh, Hey, Adam, before we get started, let's don't forget to mention our sponsors. Yeah, the guys who helped bring this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. I guess we could, but it makes it a lot easier, you know? That's right. Shin Gear, waterfowl equipment that's built better. Made by waterfowlers for waterfowlers. Go get you some Shin Gear. Miss Melissa at Duck Dog Clothing. For all your Duck Dog Clothing needs, podcast gear, check out Melissa. Our website at Duck Dog Clothing. Dropbox, go in, buy a t-shirt or hat, supports us. We appreciate it. Don't forget your wet mud mats and your Kong bumpers. And if you're not Kong, Jim, you're wrong. Soggy Dog Gear, SoggyDogGear.com. Oh, Doug over there at Soggy Dog, he's a dog man. For all your dog training equipment, he's got it there. Go to SoggyDogGear.com. Be sure on your flat collars to use the discount code, the doghouse, to get your discount on your flat collars. G&G Motors. Columbia, Kentucky. See Chaz Giles for all your large, small, new and used tractors. Chaz Giles at GNG Motors, Columbia, Kentucky. Guys, don't forget to check out Tetra, the hearing system that works. Tetra, hear the hunt. Hear the hunt. The Sullivan family has been with us a long time, guys. It's no longer Sullivan Motors. It's Sullivan Kirk Automotive. Sullivan Kirk Outfitters for your lift kits and etc. etc. Also, new and used vehicles. Those guys who have supported us a long time, we'd appreciate it if you support them. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Doghouse Podcast with Adam and Jimmy. Uh, I'm flying solo tonight down here in uh, Boston, Georgia. Uh, me and my buddy Tyler Patterson. Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good, man. Thanks for coming good on with you, us. Tyler. Yes, <laughs> coming down here. Uh, we come down a couple days ago, and we're here uh, getting to do a Pat Burns and Andy Atar workshop. Been watching some good dog work and learning a bunch. So uh, I'm also going to welcome in Andy Atar. Thanks. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming in, and Mr. Pat Burns. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Yes, sir. No, always a pleasure to have you guys with us. So uh, let's just get started, man. We've, we've been here a couple of days doing a workshop. So so we're, we're having a fireside chat here, and we're going to reflect a little bit on the workshop, take some questions here shortly. Andrew, what do you think of our first two days? Uh, they've been good. They've been really good, and we have a good set of dogs, and we have a set of dogs that have uh, varying experiences. Uh, we have really motivated handlers, which is wonderful. Um, so the way these things work, if you've never been on one of these things before, we just do a series of tests. Yesterday we did three. Yep, we did. Right, we did a set of land landmark. Right. Okay, then what? Land blinds? Double land blind. And then... A water blind or two. A water blind. Yeah, some dogs we did a double water blind. With. And today we did a water triple and a set of land singles, uh, ABC drill. So it's quite a bit of work. And we the first two days we like to get, when we do these things, we like to get a bunch of tests in so we can, we can get a better read on the dogs. Um, they've been really hard tests 
a little harder than we had thought they were going to be. And for some of the reasons they were harder, it was with the lighting conditions, mm-hmm. you know, that was hard. Um, like that probably was the, was the environmentally difficult part. And we had a perfect wind on all our tests, which meant that our birds worked really well. Like the dogs had to know where they were. There was very few dogs that winded birds the last two days. They had to know where they were, which by design, if you could choose that, it would be the what you'd want all the time, but it hardly ever works. Right. You just don't want them to get a wind. In other words, a dog's doing the wrong thing and, and smells the bird. And we didn't have that at all. We didn't have it at all. Interesting enough, uh, the earlier dogs on both setups actually had better conditions. When the sun got a little higher, the guns got, became a little harder to see. And unfortunately. Well, we ran, oftentimes we run the more advanced dogs first yeah, yeah. to get a feel for the test and do the most challenging version. And we modify from there. But then some of the younger dogs actually ran in the harder conditions, didn't yeah. they? And so when somebody comes to one of these for the first time and they don't have the exposure to either professional or the grounds that these dogs are on it's such an intimidating thing for the dogs and the handlers and sometimes it's frustrating frustrating for the handlers when the dogs aren't doing so well we see it all the time and it doesn't really bother us too much but it's really hard and very quickly you realize that if you have some holes in your game holes in your training whether you don't have the grounds or the amount of people it takes to successfully uh, train a field trial dog or an advanced hunt test dog, you you come to these things and, and are and are sort of surprised on how difficult this really is. And yeah, I think this resembles a pre-national set of training more than anything else. And I wish I could show our audience videos of. The years I, the six or seven national pre-nationals I did with Jerry Potopia and Aces High, mm-hmm. who, when Aces High was well, a 300-point all-age dog, he was by far the highest-pointed dog, most recognized in the country. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to giggle because I bet you, okay, in six or seven pre-nationals, probably 70 series, I'm not sure I saw him do two or three right. And I thought, this is Aces High? This is the dog, but then you'd watch him on game day, and he was spectacular. So I wish these guys could watch some of the great dogs because they have the same problems that these guys are having. Yep. And they, and some, and they look very normal at times. And so, you know, you you want to go down and kick the dirt because you want to win every training session, but that's really not what it's all about. And you want to you want to kind of hug them sometimes. You, I'm going to tell that quick story about, remember when you and I were in Lake Michigan and we were like five miles away, we had four to six foot waves and Pat's got kind of a brand new boat and I'm with my eight-year-old son and it we, we I don't think we should be out there. And my son looks at me, he looks up at me, we're right behind Pat. But he, says, he says, Dad, should I be scared? And so I reach over to Pat and have to yell at him to sew her up. I'm like, Pat, I got my only son in this boat. Are you okay? And Pat says, dude, I am fine. Nothing I can't handle. Don't worry about it. We'll be there in an hour. And I, uh, I, uh, I look at my son and I say, everything's great. Pat says he's okay. That eight-year-old went from being really scared like he had the best time then. I want to be able to do that sometimes when I see people fretting at the line today or yesterday. And, of course, the first thing they say is, my dog's never done this. 
Like if we had a nickel for what was what did you say the other day? If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, oh. you had some kind of a funny. I, I have a pocket full of nickels. <laughs> no, I said I that was shit. Pat. No, yeah, oh, that was Pat. I said, I said if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I'd have a shit pot full of nickels. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and what I hope what one of our mission statements is that we can get some trust in some of the handlers that don't know us. Now, some of the people that know us, they trust us. But if you're new, it's, you know, you got your precious dog. And, you know, I, I understand, but I, you, you, we have to develop a kind of a trusting thing. So I'll promise I'll tell you if you should be scared, right? Like, I think, I think we're over our head. I'll tell you if I think we are. Uh, and usually if we're going to get a dog a little over the, their head, we have a plan B always. So. Absolutely. You know, and I think of what, what I try to accomplish in these things is, is teach people what to do when everything doesn't go right yeah. and how to make good decisions and turn something that maybe didn't go the way you planned into a good learning opportunity for both you and your dog. And it happens. And, I, you know, we, it happened on every test so far. All right, tell me what your thoughts were. What's your, those watermarks we did today? So we ended up having again a, a very consistent wind, and which really helped for our watermarks. And today we themed, or we or we chose to make the more difficult part of the test a long retired gun. So it had like a thirty or fifty yard entry. It had a seventy yard swim ish, and then a two hundred ish yard, two hundred fifty yard up and out with a crosswind. And it was really hard. It, it was probably something that would give. It would be a good last series in an amateur. I mean, it was it was a pretty difficult test. And, you know, and so many people think that a tight test is harder. That bird was way out of the yep. test. It was, there was nothing tight about it. In some ways, that's actually what made it harder because the dogs didn't have anything to refer to. Yep. And then, and then when a lot of part of the day, in the middle part of the day, it became a lot more difficult for the dogs to see the guns very well and see the birds. Like, they were seeable to us, but it, it was really clear the dogs were having a hard time taking a picture of what was going on out there. And we had a pheasant flyer in the middle of the test, which was thrown incredibly well, and it, it about broke skyline every time, and it was really exciting. Some of these dogs we saw haven't had much experience in pheasant flyers, which fly a lot faster and a little lower than ducks a lot of times. And so there was so many new things for some of these dogs. Um, and what we ended up seeing were things that were very easy to train on. Um, and when dogs got corrected, the birds were in a good spot enough where we could help the dogs make sense out of them. Um, we didn't have any trouble. Like oftentimes when you practice, when you train on long retired guns, long, really long retired guns, you put them just almost too far where you, they can't hear the whistle. And so you feel very unfulfilled that you're not getting the right corrections. This was really like, it just worked out perfect for us. A few dogs did well, but most of the dogs had to handle on the long retired gun. They just couldn't hold the crosswind. And, and secondly, it was difficult. There were three break points on the way. There was a hay bale, there was a big stump, and then there was a line of cover. And as dogs ran, which is very, uh, this happens a lot on long retired guns, the drag back trail begins to be a little bit of a distraction to the dogs. And it was starting to happen that was building up a little bit. And there were dogs hunting at these break points. And sometimes they would hunt halfway to the bird. 
and which makes it easy for us to deal with, right? So we stop them. You know, the typical correction would be, you know, you give them a big verbal back, and then maybe they don't hold the crosswind, and you wor- you know, then you start worrying about that, or not worrying about it, but you start training on that. But I, I felt like there wasn't a dog out there that didn't come away with a relatively good takeaway. That, that's what makes you feel good about a training test. You know, and you're, it's always a guess when you set it up. You kind of have a vision mm-hmm. on how you think this might work. And and that one worked about as nice as, as I could have imagined. There were a couple things. I was glad that the two right-hand birds didn't turn out to be super difficult. Because mm-hmm. you left that, you know, if you had a bunch of trouble on the, the two birds prior to that long bird, then, you know, then you say, oh, what do we do now? Do we can we go with this but there were a number of dogs that had reasonably good jobs on the two mm-hmm. previous birds and sent for that long bird without being handled up to that point so you know some, sometimes you can make a test too complex with too many key birds that you know you don't know what the dog came away with i thought this turned out pretty well there and the other good thing about this test and do, working with pat like if you don't know we grew up together and we've done a lot of workshops together we've trained together forever we've pre-national forever and uh, pat is not afraid to put handlers in peril he's not afraid to like a handler will say well i've ne- my dog's never done this this size triple before i've never done this like pat said good this is a good t- this is a good place to start right here and i've always sort of we, we talk about it all the time i'm like dude you don't put these handlers in such precarious situations because they're not going to be able to get much of a takeaway. They're just going to be nervous. And I'll be dang, today was a prime example. There were dogs that came up to, or handlers that came up to the line, and they got over themselves. They got over their concerns. They trusted us if they needed to. And and I, th- I think they had a good takeaway from that. It, it's the way I learned to deal with the stress of competing. You know, you put yourself in these situations, you challenge yourself, push her, and, uh, and and we're there as safety nets to, you know, make sure, uh, you know, there's always a way to get out of it. You know, you can always re-throw a bird, help have a gunner help. But, uh, you know, it, I just think it's the best way to prepare these guys to run, you know, some of their biggest events. They're go- I think somebody's going to run a national amateur in the spring. I know... Uh, Silvio's run a number of them. I think the more you put yourself in those situations and challenge yourself, the better you're going to be prepared on game day. There were clients of Pat's, and they, you know, everybody always knew we were buddies. We'd be at a pre-national training somewhere in the country, and Pat would be getting on a client. Like, you know, it's pre-national. He's, you know, button it up. Come on. You know, and the dogs, I mean, you know, I'm thinking about was Marvin. Yeah. Blount. And, um, you know, by Wednesday, of the, <laughs> by the third day, I get a phone call from his client. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? He's, he's like, Pat is beating the bejesus out of me. He says, my dog hasn't done a thing right. And I don't even know how to send him on a single anymore. Man, you know. And so yeah. I always said this. And I, I said it, I've said it to more than one of your clients. It, not, not like it happened all the time. But when Pat does that, he knows that you can do it. And I, here's how I explain. I said, look at some of the other people in the group. Do you see Pat giving them attention? Very little attention because Pat thinks that's he, that's they have a limit and they're just not going to be able to get much past the, the basic stuff. He's pushing you 
because he thinks you can handle it and he knows he'll make it better. And we actually shared a lot of the same coaches and uh, we actually almost shared our parents because we, we, <laughs> we spent each and that's exactly like somebody said today. You were teasing me like I don't give enough praise to the handler or something. Yeah, you're yeah. teasing me, and I said if my mother didn't say anything, that meant things were going right. And which it's not. You should support people. Don't get me wrong. And I, I hope you were just teasing me. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but um, a lot of our job is coaching, and since you have two living and breathing things out there, a dog and a person. It's really one of the most fun parts for me. Absolutely. And I, you too. I it's say. the reason I, I do day school and I do these because I really got into the coaching and motivating of, uh, you know, handlers. And well, you talked about Marvin. A lot of you guys know Shadow. Shadow was pretty famous, one of the better dogs in the country. And I wanted Marvin to win a national. And I said, and I said to Marvin, I said, Marvin, this dog, a deaf, dumb, and blind man can win with this dog on a weekend. I want you to win a national. And I had to push him, and we, and he, he finished a bunch. Never did win one. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's it it's and I had John Russell then with Rose, and you know I had a pretty intense crew of clients that were competitive that had some of the better dogs in the country, and it's the way I was coached, and some of them thrived under it, and some of them not so much. But, you know, and I use some of the same tactics here, and you you learn to read people and read their dogs, and and uh, because, you know what I want these handlers to be there the better they are the better their dog's going to be mm -hmm. so oh speaking of the devil we got a little <laughs> drive by here um, us out. so we got some questions is, is that where we should we, go with this we do sure y'all ready to answer some questions absolutely all right let me uh we'll just start off taking a few and then y'all can See you where this goes. Hard, give him the hard. Gabby's question is wants to know if you got any yeah, of that food yeah, left. Yeah, she's smelling my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we'll just start right here on top. So, uh, the first question is uh, how to improve on retired guns with your young dog. So we need to probably repeat this for everybody can hear the question, right? Yes. How, uh, the question was how do you improve retired guns with a young dog? Andy, you want to grab that one? Sure. So. Two or three times today, we talked about um, um, quantity of lessons versus quality of challenge. You know, oftentimes some of the mistakes that are made in developing young dogs on long retired guns is they do too difficult of retired guns too early. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of elements that make a dog who runs a successful retired long retired let's say long retired because that's what we're talking about there's a lot of elements involved there and a lot of elements are that are that can be worked on and skills honed not just by doing long retired guns but by doing long long blinds for example long stand-up non-retired memory birds and so there are layers of this like all segments of training there are layers um Things like when do you introduce a retired gun period? Like if you never reduce a retired gun to a field trial dog, they may not know what to do if there isn't a gunner out there. They, they it, Most of the reason they go out there is because there's a white jacket out there when they're younger, for example. So we start retired guns really early. Yeah. They're, they're white bumpers on a putting green if sometimes, you know. Um, and um, we pr the other real lesson about 
concept marks and long retired guns as we're talking now is you start to you have to realize that they need to be through basics and a little bit of their transition before you can start to correct on mistakes on long retired guns so you need tools in the toolbox you know before you ever really start getting into any trouble you know i i i start some version of retired guns as singles way before they can do multiples i mean you know and it's I think a lot of times retired guns are harder for the handlers than they are for the dogs. Yeah. I think the dogs adapt to them pretty nicely. You know, so you you do a retired gun with a holding blind that's fairly visible, so they have a reference. But most of my retired guns initially are singles. Hide behind a hay bale. Guns. Yes. Throw it, step behind, and they just learn to figure that game out. I don't think it's a, that difficult a transition. Obviously, when you start getting into complex memory birds, retired guns but that's a gradual process but the question here was how do you get them better at it well you get them used to doing a lot of them without a lot of factors and hopefully have relatively high success rates and uh and then just and and you know just gradually start to make them more and more complex any thoughts on that we good with that i think that's well covered thank you I'm, we'll get another one here that's a little more complex or so three parts to this one <laughs> must be a lawyer <laughs> Party. so uh improving improving focus on gunners improving focus on gunners a when showing dog the bird the birds and b uh when guns are going off uh staying on the bird y'all want to tackle that first sure so the question was how do you improve focus on a dog? I assume, They said on the gunners, in other words, picking out the gunners. Yep, finding the guns, yep. And staying on the bird and watching the bird with more intensity. That's right. We, we did one of it today. You know, we throw birds that have streamers on them that are attractive and good and fun to watch. It's not something that I, I think most of the time you improve focus through discipline. I think it's mostly... You know, you, you do you not make, you do not improve. Focus. You do not improve it through, through discipline, especially initially. I mean, you make. I, I want to make them want to watch it. One of the one of the uh, great methods. You notice our flyers have been our longer birds, so you throw a bird that they really want to watch, um, and you throw objects that are easy to see. Double throw. Double like throw. We, we do a double throw today. Uh, give them more reasons to want to look and stay out there and less reasons not to absolutely you know and i and i think most dogs if, if, if presented properly they like long birds dogs like to run and so if they do long i mean and most of the time the focus we're talking about are on the harder to see guns you know the ones that the dog has to try to find and if you know, and I think a lot of times when you come from dogs that come from hunt tests, they're not used to looking long, and it can be really intimidating. But I think if it's if it's dealt with gradually in a, in a real positive way, dogs learn to like longer birds because they like to run. And so, I think the best way to initially is to is is to do a lot of things with positive outcomes. You want to you want to feed? Yeah. Feed so, but but what comes to my mind is let's not confuse. A dog that who is that is not cooperative at the line with a dog who is like struggling 
for at the skill set of seeing a long gun. What I saw today, especially on those watermarks, was I saw a lot of dogs that were not used to working together with their handler to find a gun. And that had uh, more to do with a dog that had a, a real comfort in being independent and self-employed at the line. When you get to the level of all-age at field trials and at the national level, that dog doesn't get very far if he doesn't respond correctly to the handler. We all day talked about getting dogs back to the neutral position and, and, and pushing and pulling them and not letting the dogs move forward when you're trying to laterally adjust them. Those are significant things that help you find hard-to-see guns. The hardest dog to work on on, a, on that subject is a dog who doesn't want to pay attention to you. They and and so what's frustrating for us to hear the after something like that happens the handler come back and think no those are just too far and I mean it maybe is too far for that dog right now but let's not ignore the fact that there's not a lot of you got to be a dance partner with your dog you're you're on a you're on a dance there and it, you think they, they can't take over at the line. Um, and in our tough mark marking setups and kind of removing the youngest of the dogs, the mistakes that were made at the line were were significant to the success or failure of the test by the handler in, in these training tests we had the last two days. Good um, point. And we talked a lot about it, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow uh, uh, some more. If there's anything that you can take away from from a workshop like this is I hope you have a better feel on what you can own and what the dog should own. I, I, every time we're in a little dilemma, I try and I, and Pat does too, try to say, you did fine there. This is on the dog. Let's let the dog work this out, whether it's on a hunt, um, you know, m- maybe not taking the correct cast right away, but we're going to give them just a little bit more time to make an adjustment. Um, a few things dogs can act on their own. On the end of blinds, obviously, they can't move forward at the line. There's some things they can't do, and our job is to to pattern that behavior the best we can. So, your t- uh, the, the takeaway of you owning what you need to own. I, I hope some of that comes out of this weekend. I've got just a couple more thoughts on the focus factor now, and you did it today, and I I do it when I'm trying to get a dog to pick out a, 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 a harder to see bird. I don't have the gunner help or wave until the dog's trying to look. I think some people have the gunner wave too soon, and they teach your dog to be lazy and not try to find the guns. In other words, if, if there's a gun over here, and I'm trying to get them to look to the left, and they won't even look left, I'm not waving. Once the dog I, is willing to look away from where he's mesmerized, and now he's trying to find it, then I help him. So, you know, I'm... I won't help them unless they help themselves. A very one thing. important thing, yep. yep. And one other thing on the focus thing is, and I initially I said about, you know, uh, positive reinforcement, but when you do cheating singles, classic cheating singles, and there's a consequence for not going straight, that also can help focus because they need to know where they're going because they can get in trouble if they don't. In other words, it's typically water scenarios, but that will heighten a dog's uh, focus level because 
they need to pay attention because there's a consequence for not paying attention. What I saw today with a couple of our dogs is they weren't even aware they had to focus. Isn't that crazy? They, they weren't even aware it was time for them to focus. And so we, we talked about that a lot today. We talked about between the holding blind and the line is the work zone. That, you know, and if they get to the line and they're already lost in their focus and their attention, it's almost completely gone if you're at a trial anyway. They got to be with you. They got to understand when and, and to be alert to when they have to be focused. And they're not going to do it naturally. They're going to have to do it by our training. And so, like we talked a lot about uh, 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 increasing standards, coming out of the holding blind and getting to the line. Um, and most of the stuff was not done with significant corrections. There was a few dogs that we went after today, and they seemed like they got better at the end of the day. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. But getting back to the, the reason this, we're talking about this right now is let's not confuse, let, let's not like keep trying to consider a dog who is not paying attention that you need to do something on the field to help him watch birds better you get him to help you let him let him let you help him that's what's got to happen he's got to let you in a little bit or else this isn't going to work cool uh there was a part c to that and you may have covered it but just uh i figured the first two was enough to kind of get you started so uh, the third part was uh first looks keeping a young dog uh on the bird you're getting ready to send for I know so the right. question, the, the the thing that talked about first look, mm-hmm. and keeping, get keeping the dog on the bird you're getting ready to send for. First first look to me, is the first time a dog looks out into the field. Typically, when they come back from a previously retrieved bird. I really coach my handlers to make sure they are pointed and focused in the direction of the next retrieved before their butt touches the ground on the delivery. It's when they're at their most pliable state. Anytime you let a dog fix and focus where you don't want them to go, we saw it, the land blind wasn't the deal. How mm-hmm. many handlers came up? They weren't paying attention to where the dog initially looked. The dog looked left back where the marks were. And you're they like- pulled them over, They and I said, well, get them over. So I'm getting there. And then they send them, and they go right where they fixed in the beginning. That first look is really important because if you let them fix where you don't want them to go, they're going to go where you don't want them to go. And so that's what's important. The one thing a couple handlers didn't do that I meant to say at the time, when I come out of the blind for for a blind, I make sure my last three steps are directly where I want them to look. I don't come in at a funny angle so I can achieve that first look. You didn't say that today. Should've oh, I was that. holding out. That's right. <laughs> you should have said <laughs> that. Saving something for tonight. Oh, you know, know, I can't yeah. tell them everything. They won't come back. <laughs> right. Very good. Uh, another question here. Best way to improve water blinds and handling in the water? I know that's pretty broad, but that's a question. So if you can good question. touch on that for Well, us. we talked about cheating singles a little bit. I think one of the early things with dogs is really a cheating single is a marked destination treated like a blind. So there's the, there's the discipline to, most of the time in the water, oh, she doesn't want to do a cheating single. No. <laughs> uh, most of the time, the discipline in the water is get in the water, get back in the water, and stay in the water. Those are really the three things. And those are most of the casts you're going to give on a water blind. 
So when you do some of those early cheating singles and you and you learn those lessons, that's the beginning of it. Now, you want to talk about beginning early water blinds? Yeah, so we, we've, we talked a lot about this today and yesterday, that um, so much of the development of dogs on on their blind work, we'll just talk about blind work right now, has to do with they need a lot of it, and they need a relatively decent success rate at it. Mm. So it's real common for all of us to push a little harder on the progress scale than we need to sometimes. Um, you know, for 30 years I've been calling my type of blind training destination training. And that doesn't mean we use white buckets. If actually, um, I won't speak for you, but I'm assuming you're going to. I'm, I'm not for teaching dogs how to do blinds with white buckets. Uh, I think it's counterproductive to, to the blind development <clears throat> in general. Um, but getting them familiar, we said this today, getting them familiar with, from the line, you say, okay, you kinda, you're trying to point out the destination on the blind. The, the hard part is if you can arrive at a general spot out there, then navigating to get to that spot. And it's real common for a young dog to go through all the young dog challenges of handling. Sometimes they don't stop well. They certainly don't cast perfectly. And by the time they're halfway in the field, they have completely forgot if they even thought about going somewhere out there. It's the furthest thing from their mind. And... When you're doing blinds, you know the golden rules are you have to go, you have to stop, and you have to come in if I need you to come in. Those are the three commandments of running blinds. We learn that from yard work, right? The rest of it is the experience of them understanding there's a destination they're being sent to. And when I blow a whistle on a blind, it simply means you're heading in the wrong you're heading to the wrong destination or the wrong direction. And but via the whistle, I'm going to ask you to change where you think you're going. So the first level development on running blinds is they stop going to where they wanted to go or they were heading in the first place. It has nothing to do with taking a precise cast. It simply is an understanding I'm denying you going where you, where you want to go, which is 50 degrees left of where the blind is. The second level of that is they start to string together sort of what they felt when they left the line and what the prior whistles were for. Now, some dogs barely get through that stage because it takes a dog with a brain. Some dogs are trained poorly during that stage and never really get a chance to connect the dots. But through... um, through a good quantity and volume of age-appropriate blinds, we hope they start to connect the dots on why they're being handled to begin with. And understanding that is one of the keys to being conscious of developing a a young blind dog uh, that's motivated. Yeah, and you work hard for that. You know, when they finally give you their trust and say... I don't know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. I'm good with that. That's when you seem to turn the corner. 
And that's, you know, that's obviously the fundamentals of going, stopping, changing direction. But just the psychological hurdle of saying, I have no idea where I'm going, and you're going to tell me, and I'm good with that. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to to dive into because it's a it's a scary dark room for for some dogs and but it once they learn to develop that trust you're on your way one of the biggest changes like at the beginning of my career was a shift from dogs leaving yard work and being forced on their initial blinds there are some schools of thought that would today still say i don't do many pattern blinds they just know they have to go um, from the very beginning, I was totally against that. I didn't really know why. And, um, and I feel it really strongly that part of developing dogs in their blinds is having them at a level on their marks that they've had some experience negotiating in the field, water and land. Because that in itself needs a lot of experience, let alone being told, uh, where to go when you don't know where to go. So I used to, they had to, you know, the seminars have changed so much. You know, 35 years ago, I would do it. Here's what the seminars were then. I'd fly out to wherever, I'd bring two dogs, and I would work those dogs in front of everybody. And I would say, this is air pinch, this is force fetch, this is swim by, blah, blah, blah. And then this is how you introduce cold blinds and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I would always say that you should never do swim by until your dog could do a hundred yard, 150 yard water retrieve single. Um, you should never do, you should never start land blinds until a dog could do a memory bird. Now, I don't feel like those are really hard, fast rules, but back then it was important to me to have a dog have experience in the field. So it was sort of used to going that far. And it was in the habit of retrieving things 100. Back then, 200 yards was really far, you know. Um, but I would be really surprised. You hear people like, you know, it's it's springtime. Their dog is nine months old and, you know, hasn't had hardly any water work. And they're, you know, forcing it in the swim-by pond. That makes no sense to me. Forcing a dog in the swim-by pond that, doesn't really have a good strong ability to swim yet or are comfortable in the water is a recipe for disaster i mean isn't it common sense now but it wasn't back then it was not back then uh just before i started and even when we when we started it was not uncommon for basic trainers not to give the dogs marks and you know they would do drill work and, be, and they would dogs would be kind of ground down and they'd maybe just go shoot a flyer for them and that would be their like okay i'll happy up now like nothing could be further than how I feel. Even back then, it bothered me, and I think it was a a part of the pivotal change of helping our dogs understand proper motivations on their blind work. That, that was a big long answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Doing great. Doing great. We appreciate it. All right. Let's see. Moving up. Well, so sticking on the blind, we have a question. It's a little more direct question. Best way to stop a dog from hunting on a blind when they break down start hunting when you're running a blind repeat that question so the question was what's the best way to stop a dog from hunting while running a blind let me, let me start this one okay don't get him started hunting on blinds so much of what i've seen today i always say well, it's just a lack of experience we use birds today on our blinds like how many times 
have some of these dogs retrieved a bird on their blinds unless they were at a hunt test or a field trial. Um, we have to do more of that. How many times do you start blinds with young dogs in a field full of cover where there's something to distract them on? Don't do it. If you start a dog that way, they're going to, you know, they'll develop using their nose to get to the blind. We, you know, we always say featureless fields. If you could do it on a putting green, that's how you start your land blind. So there's no factor to encourage them to use their nose. Um, so some of this stuff is don't get it started. Don't, don't do things that would encourage them to hunt. Um, I talked about this. I watched half a dozen master national tests and I couldn't believe the blinds weren't 30 to 50 yards further than the marks. Like as you start doing your blinds, you're developing young dogs in their blinds, make sure you position them in the field that they're past things that the dog naturally will want to go to. You know, Jim Van Egan said this, and I think it's so true when he does those young dogs. He wants, he puts the blinds at the end of the field. And he said, even if I have to run from the middle of the field, I want them getting in the habit of targeting the horizon. The end, well. And I always thought that was pretty ingenious. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if they're used to going, if they're anticipating going to the other end of the pond or the other end of the field, they're already in the mindset that that's where, that's where we're headed. And you got to talk about that white bucket thing. I, I think dogs start to hunt when they want to start to find the blind on their own. And, and they, so I want them not to be looking for the end of the blind. I want them to be looking for advice, and I'll tell them where the end of the blind is. It reminds me, remember that a couple of years ago we were doing that workshop, and that guy said, well, how did he say that young guy? He had that really nice dog. He said, my dog hunts where he thinks a bird is or something. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he said it very innocently, but that's but it's the same thing. Well, and you can see dogs; they get to the end. They, I think I'm here. Yeah, yeah. This, and that's when they, you know, so there should be a bird here. Right. <laughs> should be, the blind of the blind should be here. Hey, quick guys, don't leave because we got to do our drawing for our collar. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got a collar to give away. We might. So you know, I didn't mention that in the beginning that to the people listening to the podcast that can't see us that these questions are from participants here doing the workshop with you guys i kind of got a little ahead of myself there so excellent stuff fill everybody in and we have a live audience with us tonight uh watching us and listening to us do this so uh the next question y'all ready for another one you bet all right the next one is uh what to do with a dog that becomes and we hear this all the time test wise uh trains great great in training uh but wild at a test i mean that's that's the probably one of the most question was out there what do you what do we do with the dog that trains great but is out of control at a test or a trial. That's right. You don't get it started. It, it The number one thing that I harp to my clients is there's always a risk of running young dogs at weekend events. Too early. There's always a negative to it. There's a lot of dogs out there with a lot of horsepower that should not be run away from training too often. They pull away too many bad habits. So, and it's getting harder than ever. Like, there's a hunt test almost every weekend now. I'm, being, I'm pretty soon they're going to put one on Christmas. And, and a field trial. And a field trial. <laughs> and they would both fill up. And they'd both fill up, <laughs> you know. Um, and in the hunt test world, there is junior, there's just so much for people to do. And, I mean, it's really simple. 
Number one, you should never run your dog on a weekend event when it's young if you think it's getting, if it's taking away bad things. Like, that's the first rule. How many of the dogs here acted like they were at a field trip yeah. or a hunt test? They, were, they thought they, so it was total game day. So finding a way to uh, come and, and, and challenge yourself and, and, and go to exciting atmospheres. Let me give you a couple of examples. The question didn't say that, but so many people will say, well, my dog's collar-wise. He knows it's training. And there's dogs that I trained, and they, I think they're situational-wise. In other words, they're used to your normal training scenario. Some of these dogs, when I went to a pre-national and the atmosphere was just like this and we traveled across the country and we trained with dogs that they didn't know. and they spent, Different smells. And, and, and I can remember making a number of corrections and these dogs still acted like they were at a field trail. So they, once I changed the atmosphere. And guys, don't forget, go check out our new website, thedoghousepod.com. Um, you can submit questions, see all of our guys that sponsor our show. Click, 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 boom, go buy you some stuff from those guys. And see us on, web, on, on the face page over there, Facebook, The Doghouse Podcast with Adam and Jimmy. You can contact us there. We're going to try to put out some content and stuff there. Thanks for listening. Appreciate y'all.